Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Man, wow. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. My name's Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad that you guys are with us today. Uh, we are continuing this series called Dang James. And um, this series has really just kind of been punching me in the gut personally. And I know from talking to many of you, it's been, been getting you in the gut. And I, I think that's kind of what James does. He's, this, this letter or this book in your Bible is one of the most practical books Uh, throughout the entire New Testament because it's just very clear. It's very succinct. Uh, You don't have to ask James what's on his mind. He just tells you directly how it is. And uh, James is is somebody who's writing with uh, some authority on on these matters, which I think is why he is so succinct and so in-your-face and bold. He was the brother of Jesus. He was one of the original pastors of the church in Jerusalem, uh, of the first church in Jerusalem. And it's the, the idea behind this whole series and why we're going dang James is because, man, it, it gets us. It gets us. It's very direct. It's very in our business. And so today, uh, if you hear anything that, man, just gets you, dang James will be just fine. You don't have to amen or shout me down. You can just dang James, and you can play, play along with us. In fact, everybody on three, let's go. One, two, three. There we go. Dang, James. And so uh, I have heard people have used that within the context of this service and outside of the service. Last night I was at the uh, community Halloween party here where we did a photo booth, saw tons of people come through, and uh, just had a great time last night. And I, I ran into one of our people, and we were talking, and they went, dang, James. And they said they've been using it in their regular conversations, even when I'm not there and talking, which is just uh, hilarious to me. But, but James is writing this letter to into a context of chaos. He's writing this letter to the Jewish people who are scattered, and they're scattered because they're in a time of persecution, that they are being beaten, they're being imprisoned, and some are even being killed. And so while most of them were meeting publicly and professing their faith publicly, they all got scared. They were all in this season of unrest, and they didn't really know what to do, and so they're scattered. They're not meeting together, and and we can kind of relate to that, right? We all are post-pandemic right now, right? And there was a time when we were all scared. There was a time when we couldn't meet. There was a time when we were scattered and just didn't know what to do. And this is, this is kind of like the season that James is writing into. It's a, it's a season where there's, there's unrest, there's uncertainty. And he knows that what they need most is some guidance on how to keep it all together. Because this is the first church. The everything, Jesus left it all to them to spread this, the gospel message across the world. And so James is speaking into this to, to bring some unity in a time that is chaotic, a time that, that they're scattered, a time where they're experiencing division. And he even speaks to some of the things that cause division amongst people. And he addresses these things that are attempting to divide them. He talks to them about their perspective on trials and tribulations due to the chaos of persecution. He speaks to them about the authoritativeness of God's word, because that can certainly be a divisive thing. He speaks to them about favoritism that they were demonstrating towards one another. And he was also talking to them about doctrine. Basically, in other words, what does our Christian life look like and what is the fruit of it supposed to be? And then he addresses also 
The tongue. The words that we say, because boy, doesn't our mouth get us in trouble often? I don't know about you, but I get in trouble a lot. Dang, James is right. And he was writing this to people who had the same exact problem. And that's where we've been throughout this series so far. That's the stuff he's been addressing. But that was their context in their world at the time. And I don't think it's any different from today. Because if you think about what today is, you already know we're post-pandemic. So, so the world's changed. You also know where we've all experienced a lot of social unrest. There's threats of future pandemics. I don't know who you're listening to, but it's like, hey, the next one's coming. We're gearing up for the next one. I'm like, the next one? I had one and done. I thought we were finished with this thing. But they're talking about a next one. There's political unrest, tumultuous election cycles, inflation out of control, cost of living is becoming too high for people. And now... Now, if you're paying attention, it seems like all the talking heads are saying we're on the brink of World War III. Y'all listening to this stuff? We're in a season that's chaotic, just like the context that James is writing to. And we've been through, we're going through, and we will go through some stuff. And in the face of this, James asks an important question. It's the beginning of our text today. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in James chapter 3, verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Oh, that's so important. James understands that in this moment of chaos, what is needed most in order to thrive, not just survive this moment, is wisdom. He knows that they need it in order to make it through it. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom, you're like, oh, that's just knowledge. That's just intellect. And that is not what wisdom is. Because if that's what wisdom was, then all of us would be wise. Because all of us have this rectangle pocket thing called a phone that has Google on it. And we can all know anything. We're five seconds away from knowing anything we need to just by asking Siri, Alexa, and whatever your your mode is. We can just ask, and it'll be told to us. So wisdom is not about knowledge. It is not about intellect. It is about having and applying that knowledge. It is essentially responding to chaos in a different way than everybody else does. In fact, the Hebrew word for wisdom really means skill and living. Skill and living. And here's the thing. It's not that you developed those skills. That's not the kind of skill that it's talking about. What it's talking about, it's not talking about like you know how to do something and you've applied it to your life. What it's talking about is that you know something that you shouldn't know, something that is beyond you, that you supernaturally have this understanding of the times and what you ought to do, and it's because God gave you that kind of insight. It's something beyond you. That's what wisdom is, and that's why wisdom is so important. In fact, in your Bibles, in the book of Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom, It says that wisdom is supreme. It's the most important thing that you and I need in our lives outside of a relationship with God. And Proverbs gets it. It understands, hey, wisdom's supreme. We've got to be after it. We need to be in pursuit of it. Because wisdom takes us from the I don't know what to do to I know exactly what to do. That's what wisdom does. Now, me, for me, 2019 was the worst year of my life. Worst year of my life. 
I went through a mental breakdown. I went through a major, I, my, my, my body was crippled. I couldn't even stand to preach. Had a major reconstructive surgery. I nearly died. We were going through hell in our relationship in our building situation. And boy, that was really, really difficult. It was difficult personally. It was difficult professionally. It was difficult spiritually and physically. Dear God, if it weren't for God, I would not be standing here, literally standing here today. But God intervened, and I went through a process because I, 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 I wound up in the middle of all that getting some help, checking into a, 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 a facility, into a treatment center. And man, God, God took me on a journey, and buddy, he flipped my life upside down. And in 2019, all of that happened. And you know what happened in 2020? A pandemic hit. And buddy, this guy who had suffered through depression for years and didn't quite understand himself, I had some skill for living that had nothing to do with my ability to understand that. That God put me through a process and he put wisdom in me. And what I feel like God did was he allowed me to go through all that. So in 2020, I had some skill for living that I could help some people with. Because... It is said that in 2020, when the pandemic hit, more people were experiencing depression for the very first time in their lives, and they didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to get out of it. They didn't even understand what they were experiencing. And I feel like God equipped me with that. He gave me something that I did not have on my own that served my life and then began to serve yours. I think it's beautiful. Wisdom gives you the mind of God for chaotic times. James goes on to say, let them show it by their good life. Pause. See, what he's saying here is that, listen, a good life doesn't mean that you don't have trials and tribulations. A good life doesn't mean that you don't have difficulties. No, a good life, let them show it by their good life, is that despite those things, God is still good. Life is still good. And the verse goes on to say, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom, and that, oh, by the way, God's still good, life's still good, and I can still do some good. That's what wisdom does. Dang, James. And all of that kind of wisdom, it flows from God. And it gives us the ability to recognize that despite the chaos, God's good. Life's good. We can do good. It's a different response, isn't it? So we need to get wisdom. And that's the kind of people that I want you to be today. Because let me explain this. Getting wisdom is not me telling you something. Getting wisdom is not me showing you something. I can teach you some things. I can mentor you some things. I can do all that kind of stuff. It's not about me transferring knowledge to you and you applying it and trying to live a better life. Yes, you can do all those things, but that's not going to give you the kind of wisdom that God gives you. It's just not going to be it. In fact, that's not the kind of wisdom that Christianity offers. That's not the experience. Christianity isn't you becoming a new, improved you because you stopped cussing or because you worked a little harder at something or because you tried to do things different or because you prayed a prayer or because you read some verses or even because you're attending Simple Church. That's not the Christian experience. The Christian experience is a transformed life that God does in you, that by his power, he changes your heart and he changes your mind. It's, it's a transformation that happens in you where you suddenly don't look like you anymore. It's a beautiful thing. This is what God offers, offers us. 
And he'll put wisdom inside you. He'll put a right heart inside you. And he'll fill you with his power to live your life a different way than everyone else. The Bible says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. The old is gone. God does a transformative work in you. And you can try and you can apply, but you're only going to be able to change your mind. You will not be able to change your heart. You need God for that. That's the kind of work that he does. He'll turn you into somebody that you yourself don't recognize. For me, that's exactly my story. God did that for me because when I, when I came to a relationship with God, I was invited to a church in 2010. I, I grew up in church, but I walked far away from God. Many of you, that's your story too. When you became an adult, you're like, eh, I'm going to see what this world's got to offer. See if mom and dad and my pastor were right. Anybody out there relate to that? Yeah, just went out and just did your own thing. And I did. And when I was invited to a church in, in 2010, I went in angry. I went in bitter. I went in distant. I was a liar. I was an addict. My marriage was broken, my second one. I had gone through bankruptcy. I'd suffered a lot. I'd found out that my best wisdom and my best day, that wasn't good enough. That everything that I knew that I'd applied to my life wasn't good enough. I needed something more because I was failing at every turn. And all of you can relate to that. You know that on your best day, it's not good enough. And for me, it was the same. And what God did was he got a hold of my heart. And he made me better. And he'll do that for you, too. Now, I understand Christians get a bad rap because people are like, you Christians just think you're better than everybody else. No, it's not that we think we're better than everybody else. See, God doesn't do that. He doesn't make us better than everybody else. He makes us better than ourselves, right? That's what God does. And you need to know that because God can do that in you. And you cannot do that without God. You can learn some things. You can change some things, but you can't be transformed without him. You can't approach this with intellect and your mental abilities, it's just not possible. You need to open your heart to God, and you need to seek wisdom that is from above and not from below. You do not need to be seeking earthly wisdom. We need all that God has for us. He'll transform our hearts, and then your mind will follow. That's what will happen. We need God's help with this, because if not, what we're going to do is get what everybody else is getting in the world today. James says if we don't get wisdom, but instead if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Don't act like you think you know better. That's what he's saying. Don't do that. He said such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is, first of all, check it out, it's earthly, unspiritual, it's demonic. It's almost like James is having a difficult time deciding what he wants to say about this, that it's earthly. That it's just, hey, it's just what everybody else knows and it's what everybody else does. That this is not a heavenly thing. Oh, and by the way, it's unspiritual. It means that you're using your mind, your emotions to sort through this situation, to, to navigate your life. And then he says, you know what? You acting like you know better? You doing things your own way? Let's just scrap that. It's demonic. Because you know why Satan was kicked out of heaven? Pride. Pride says, I know it all. Pride says, I don't need God's help. Pride says, I'm good enough on my own. Pride. And James is calling it out. That's just, it's demonic. It's of the devil. I don't know about you. I don't want nothing to do with that. I don't want to be in a category where somebody labels me as demonic. But here's, my, here's the thing. Don't take James' word for it. Don't take my word for it. Go out and try and do it on your own. You'll be back. 
I, I, I don't mean that flippantly, or I, I just know that it's true. That eventually you'll get tired of carrying this burden on your own, and you'll be looking for an intervention. <laughs> you will be looking for some help. You will be looking for some joy. You will be looking for peace. You will be looking for strength, hope, something. Because you'll discover what we already know. My best is not enough. My wisdom is not good enough. The earth's wisdom is not good enough. In fact, the earth's wisdom is in direct opposition to God's plan for your life. We're meant to do life with him, and that's why I know you'll be back, because your life will not make sense without him. James continues in verse 16. He says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, the world's way of doing things, by the way, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You know this to be true. We need wisdom, don't we? We need wisdom. Our world is filled with disorder and evil practices. And you don't need me to convince you of that. You absolutely see it. In fact, I'll tell you, we're all going through the same thing, but some of us have been responding differently to it all. And I say the difference maker in all of it is wisdom, and James does too. I'll tell you that in the middle of this chaotic times, in the middle of all this unrest, the conversations you and I are having, you're looking to me for an answer. (laughs) And you know what? I don't know. I don't have the answers. If you consider the times that we're in, we've never been here at a place like this in history. When the pandemic hit, there was no playbook for it. Nobody said, okay, so if you're going to be a pastor in a pandemic, there's these five books I need you to read. (laughs) There's no playbook for standing on the precipice of World War III. I don't have one. I don't have context for it. And for generations, since the 40s, we haven't had a world war. It's been a long time. Nearly 100 years. What does that even look like in our context? I don't know. I have no idea. Our country, to my knowledge and in my experience, 44 years, I've never seen it look like it looks. I've never experienced an economy that is harsher than this. Like, bro, you know it's bad when you go to the Wendy's and the dining room is closed because they don't have enough people to staff that thing. I'm like, what happened to all the teenagers who were working? Where are all the people that need jobs? Why are the grocery shelves empty? I've never seen such a thing. Now, in the pandemic, when the toilet paper was gone, I don't understand it, but I also understand it to a point. But we're talking like regular stuff is gone off the shelves. Meat is gone. Eggs are gone. Milk is gone. What is going on? Businesses are understaffed. They're closing left and right. Prices of food is skyrocketing, skyrocketing. We went to dinner the other night, my wife and I did with some friends, and we told, hey, this is our treat, and we had a budget for it. We got there, and we found out that the meals had increased about, well, exponentially, (laughs) and we blew our budget, and I said, babe, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be a blessing, but also, dear God, wow, (laughs) Uh, we had no idea. And you all are experiencing this, yes? Just go to a restaurant. You've gone to tons of times before, and you're like, I thought this steak was $25. Now it's $40. What is going on? Is this Wagyu? I don't even know if I said that right. (laughs) Is it fancy? (laughs) Because I thought it was sirloin. 
That's not fancy. That's not expensive. You look at the world today and the language of the Bible, which, by the way, is the language of love because it is our Heavenly Father speaking in God is love, and the world is calling it hate speech. Look at the, 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 the social unrest. I'm, I'm going to say both of them, so don't get upset about which one I say first. But the division that is here in our world, I support Palestine. I support Israel. I support humanity. I support Hamas. We're divided. There is no playbook for this. And instead of, it seems, and I'm just scratching my head. I know that this is important to a lot of you. I get it. But it feels like there's a lot of important things going on in the world, and we're over here fighting about men in dresses that are reading books to children. What? Where is the playbook for this? I don't know. I'm your pastor. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. My limited experience doesn't cover this. Yours doesn't either, from what I can tell. Doesn't cover it. We need wisdom because we don't know. So what do we do? Well, I'm going to remind you of what James said. And by the way, if that feels despairing to you to not know, God promises to give us wisdom. And I'll get there in just a moment. I just want to give you a little hope right there, okay? James says in chapter 1, which we've already read, verse 5, here it is. If any of you lacks wisdom, if you don't know, ask. Elmo says that's a good way to get the questions answered. You're burning in your heart. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives generously? Oh, thank God. And it gets better. To all. So that means anyone who asks without finding fault. Oh, thank God for that because I hate being called a dummy and feeling stupid when I have to ask again. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? He says, no, I'm not even going to find fault. Here, you're asking for it. I'll give it to you. I pray for wisdom constantly. I ask God for wisdom. Because God will teach you things. He will impart things in you that you can't know. And other people will look at because your response will be different. It won't make sense to them. And it turns out to be the wisest thing you could have done. Now, I'm not saying I do that all the time. You can ask my wife and my kids. I am not wise all the time. But I know some things. I know some things that God has given me. He's given me wisdom, and he gives it generously. And he doesn't call out my track record. He doesn't call me dumb-dumb. He doesn't call me stupid, idiot, or moron. He doesn't see, okay, does Aaron deserve this wisdom? Like, he's asking for it, but does he deserve it? Because he's not Santa Claus. He's not making a list and checking it twice to find out who's been naughty or nice. It's, it's, it's just not him. That's not who God is. He's not... Santa, it's his good pleasure to give good things to his kids, guys. That's who he is. So ask. If you get nothing else today, walk away with this. God isn't Santa. So ask. Get wisdom. Receive it freely and do it every day. And in what situations? every situation. And, and what place? Like, what role should I ask for at most? Um, all of them. You need wisdom for your relationships. I'm married to a woman, and dear God, I'm never going to figure her out, and I need wisdom for my marriage. 
I am smart enough to know that I am dumb enough to not know that stuff. I need wisdom, and you do too. You need wisdom for, your, for raising your kids, because you know what? They don't come with a manual. And if they did, it would be a specific manual for each one of them, because each one is different. I have five minutes left for real. It's blinking on my screen right here. I'm just getting set up here. All right. Well, I guess we're going to roll through this real quick. I asked, yeah, you need wisdom. Let's pray. (laughs) I heard that summary from right over here on the front row from one of my board members. All right, let's go. Ask God for wisdom in every area of your life, guys. We need wisdom from heaven. We need a skill for living, especially in chaos and challenging times. So let's do this. Let's finish up these verses from James today. And then, uh, no, by the way, I'm not finishing. I mean, I, that's actually, I'm not finishing. I'm, I'm just getting started, but I'm, apparently I'm finishing. So uh, got lots more to say. So back to the text. Here's what it says. James says, you can do things your way, and it'll lead to chaos and disorder, or, and that, that earthly wisdom, or, he says, the wisdom that comes from heaven, watch this, is first of all, it's six things. It's pure. It's peace-loving. He says, then it's peace-loving. It's considerate, submissive. We don't like that word. Full of mercy. And good fruit, impartial and and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So here's what I want to do. I want to go through those six things that describe what wisdom is. Describe what wisdom from above looks like for you and for me. And then I'll explain that last verse because when you read it, it kind of seems out of place. But I'll explain it. So here we go. I want you to do two things for me today. Learn it, but then ask God to impress this on your heart. Let's do heart work today. Amen, everybody? So here it is. The first thing that wisdom is, is, that, is uh, that you need to know is that, that the wise have a pure heart. James says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Now, you can't do the other five because there's a line there. You can't do the other five until you've done this one because godly wisdom is first of all, what James says, pure. It all starts with your heart. So the question is, do you have a pure heart? Now, just for your information, purification does not mean perfection. That's not what we're shooting for here. That's not it. That's, that's unobtainable. Purity is an attitude that understands our condition, and our, our condition is simply that we are impure, okay? It recognizes that we are impure, that God is pure, and that what must happen in order for us to be in fellowship and relationship with God is that there's some cleaning up God wants to do in us, that you can come to him as you are, and he does the cleaning for you, Right? That's what happens. That's, that's our condition. And God wants to do that work in us. That's, why, that's what he sent Jesus for. David prayed in the Psalms, God, create in me a clean heart. Give me a right spirit. Do a work in me that changes me and my desires. In fact, in Romans, it tells us to hate evil because that's what having a pure heart looks like. When God transforms us, we begin to hate evil and to cling to good. And I'm not saying it's easy to live that way. What I'm saying is that if our hearts are changed, then we will love purity. And here's what loving purity looks like in Titus 1.15. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and their consciousness are corrupted. He's essentially describing the process of salvation, that once God touches your life, he purifies your heart, and he makes you a person that has a love for good. And John, he describes his heart change to reflect even God's 
uh, rules for our lives no longer being burdensome, but becoming a delight for us. That, that the, the rules we read in the Bible, if you approach them with the wrong heart or a heart that has not been touched by God, you're like, this is just a bunch of rules and restrictions. But when God has touched your heart, those rules for the relationship become a delight, not a duty. That's why Jesus also said in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart are the real Christians, guys. So what does pure even mean? Well, if you look at pure gold, it's something that has all the foreign elements removed from it. Pure water has all the minerals and other elements removed from it as well. Have you ever drank pure water before? The taste is way different, right? Way different. The pure in heart aren't perfect, but they recognize that there may be some contaminants. There may be some foreign elements in our hearts and that those things don't belong there. And James gives us a great example of this in James chapter 4, which we'll visit uh, later in this series. But he says, you adulterous people. Ouch. Dang, James. Look quiet. You say, wait, don't, don't be offended by that. He's addressing them because what is adultery? Well, adultery is, is that I'm in a committed covenant relationship. By the way, that's what your marriage is. And, and, and you're in love but you got some side action going on. That's what it means. Got a side piece. And I just wonder how many of us love God, we're going to heaven, but we got some action going on on the side. We got some things that we're giving our hearts to. And James says that if you're adulterous, then you don't know that friend, don't you know that Friendship with the world means enmity between God. In other words, that, that it, if you really got this side piece that is the world and its, and its ways, and you love God, you're going to heaven, you look, everything looks good on the outside, but you got this secret thing that you do. Hmm. He says, don't you realize you're creating a gap between you and God? You're creating a wedge. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes. In other words, that's eventually. If you don't deal with this, it's eventually going to grow and grow and grow and could become out of control and you will become an enemy of God. If you don't address it, that's a problem. And so it begs the question of us then. If we're to navigate chaos, if we're to navigate tough seasons in our life, the difficulties that we face, are we unwise to leave our impurities in? Are we unwise to leave it? I don't think we think about this enough when it comes to our lives, that we don't seek God for what we allow into our ear holes and eye holes, the things that we are consuming and allowing into our minds and allowing into our lives. I think we need to be asking God on a regular basis, is this something I should be watching? Is this something that I should be listening to? Is that influencer, is that speaker, is that pastor, somebody that I should be tuning into on a regular basis? Because I'll tell you, by the way, just because they got pastor or reverend in front of their name does not mean they are speaking the truth of God's word. You say, oh, well, <laughs> give me the tea, spill it. <laughs> Who's those pastors? I'm not telling you that. You got a Holy Spirit just like I got a Holy Spirit. You talk to him about that mess and he'll set you straight. He'll let you know. For me, I just talk about the things that, that I don't do as some can, I can't. There's one of the weird things for me, I don't eat Burger King breakfast. Some of you are like, yeah, I don't either, it's trash. No, that's not the problem. It's delicious, and I like it a lot. 
And the Lord told me it would be a stumbling block to me if I didn't cut it out of my life. Now, I don't stand up here and preach, Burger King, don't sue me. I am not telling. I said it was delicious. It is. Get you a double-double on a croissant. Oh, dear Lord. Mm. Some double sausage and cheese. Forget that egg mess. I don't need that. Let's just go to town with some buttery bread and the grease. I'll show that sandwich a good time. So he's like, man, I'm going to have to check out this Burger King breakfast. If he's having to repent from it and turn away, it must be good. I don't know if it is, but it checked all the boxes for me, okay? That's why I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what you ought to be watching and what you ought to be listening to. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit tell you that. Because I get into that space. I did, we did that one time from the stage. I remember it was the funny story that we continue to tell. We asked if anybody watched this particular show, and people raised their hands, and then we were like, it's porn, and it's hilarious to me. Uh, I don't ever want to bring, bring we all learned a lesson that day, uh, just, just let you know, but, but, but I don't want to stand in that space and say, no, no, you can't watch this, you shouldn't be watching that. I mean, if you ask me, I'll tell you, but I, I don't want to, from this platform, do that. I want you to, to lean into your relationship with God. I want you to trust him, because I think there's some things that when I talk to people, and I'm, I, get, I get really surprised, especially for mature believers that are still watching certain things or listening to certain things, and I'm like, how is it you're watching that? How is it you're participating with that? And they're like, oh, it doesn't bother me. I'm like, isn't that a problem that it doesn't bother you? Isn't it a problem? I got things in my life that I'm like, dear God, why doesn't that bother me? Oh, we're desensitized. We're we're absolutely desensitized to it. It should be bothering us. And even if it isn't bothering your conscience, I promise you it is impacting your life. For example... Look at the naked people on a regular basis on your phone or whatever dab, t- tablet or device you're on. You say, oh, that's not hurting anybody. I'm not actually having an adulterous relationship. I'm not actually doing anything. It's not, it's not bothering anybody. It's not hurting anybody. It's not impacting me. I'm going to tell you it is. It'll impact your ability to form healthy relationships. It'll impact your thoughts about yourself, about your others, and about the opposite sex. It'll sexualize everything in your world, causing you to objectify people. It will twist your natural sexuality to unnatural behaviors, and it will pervert your ability to enjoy sex as God intended. Yes, I said it. I ain't scared of you. I'm just telling you some truth. (laughs) Oh, it doesn't bother me. It's just for fun. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But it's just a few naked butts. It's just, it's a really good show. It's a really, I mean, once you get past that, it's a really good show. It reminds me of a story. There was this kid who wanted to watch an R-rated movie, and his mom was against that. And he's like, but mom, all my friends have seen it, and they're telling me it's really good. And, and I know it's rated R, and I know it has this, this one scene, but the one scene goes by really, really fast. And then, but the rest of the movie, it's just so good. Can I please, please, please have my friends over, and we can watch it? She said, okay, you know what? Have them come over. And she said, when you come over, I'll make your favorite brownies for you and your friends. And he goes, would you do that? She said, yeah. So the friends come over, and the movie starts, and she starts whipping up the brownies, putting all the love into it. Mm, it's the good brownies, too, you know, them Hershey brownies. I'm hungry this morning, I think. I apologize if I'm bringing you on my journey, too, but them Hershey brownies, moist one. Mm. She's whipping them up, and she goes out outside. For me, it would be my backyard. I find this favorite spot that my beautiful little Stella girl likes to make. And she grabs some, uh, some droppings. 
poop. And she puts just a little bit into the brownie mix and just stirs it all in there. Makes the brownies, brings them down to the boys and says, guys, I've made the brownies. I do want you to know, there's just a little bit barely noticeable. In fact, it'll go by so quick, you probably won't even taste it. But there's a little bit of Stella poop in these brownies today. Please enjoy. How many of you know you're not going to eat those brownies? Because a little poop goes a long way. And a little poop in your life will go a long way too. We've got to stop making excuses for the poop. Well, that was a belly laugh. I felt that down here was good. <laughs> Whew, brought a tear. I know we're laughing, but you know I'm telling you the truth. It's the truth. James goes on in verse 8 of chapter 4. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. He'll reconcile with you. He'll get the poop out of the way. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Because you've been playing with poop. Purify your hearts. It's had poop. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I'm not going to tell you what needs to leave your life, but I'm going to have you ask God the question, how much of the world am I going to allow in my life? Because if we're going to be the wise and have a skill for living in chaotic times, we need to be people who pursue purity. Second thing he, James says is that the wise love peace. He says that so the wisdom that comes from heaven is peace-loving. Now, first, first, it's pure. And then you can get to peace-loving. Because, right, you've done with the contentions in your own heart. It's peace-loving. James is saying, hey, there's a lot of us that love to fight. Don't do that. That, that, that too many of us, I think, on a regular basis, are fighting with people like it's a sport. We've become, the, the, the word has been coined, keyboard warriors for a reason. Because we sit behind our keyboards with anonymous monikers and names so nobody knows who it is. And we fire off comments that are disruptive and antagonistic for fun. This, my friends, ought not be so. Not as Christians. That on our social medias and in our comment sections, we should not be fighting. We're inflammatory for no reason to total strangers. That's our culture today. That's what we do. It's our fun. And I have no idea what you're getting out of fighting with people on social media boards on a regular basis except for an ulcer. Because I'm telling you, when I got into fights with people, I was distracted. I didn't care what my kids were doing. It didn't matter what life was going on. I was... Okay, I got to delete all that. I can't say that. But it would, it would take over my life. We're fighting. Maybe we find it acceptable because everyone with influence does it. From the media to our politicians, TikTokers and celebrities, we're nasty to each other. We're nasty. And we are contrarian and argumentative by nature now. And the Bible says that the wise are peace-loving, not conflict-pursuing. James said in chapter 1, verse 20, Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, 29, a wise man controls his temper. He knows that anger causes mistakes. And again, it says in Proverbs 23, it's a mark of good character to avert quarrels. But fools, oh, they love to pick fights. 
So do you want to be wise or do you want to be a fool? Where are you going to fall? Just stop it. Just, just stop it. It isn't wise. You don't have to tell everyone your opinion. You don't have to correct everybody that is wrong around you and online. Just stop it. Love and pursue peace. Love and pursue peace. This week I had to ask the Lord, what, what conflicts are in my life right now? What are the things that are, that are disruptive? Who do I got beef with? Who, who do I got an issue with that I'm, I've not been talking to or maybe that I've kept at a distance? Who have I been fighting with? Whether that's a, that's a um, passive fight or an aggressive fight, who am I fighting with? And the Lord showed me two people this week, and I had to make two phone calls. They were in the dang James is right. It was not fun. But I'll tell you what, I felt better when I pursued peace, when I called and apologized and owned some things. Said, man, this is how I've been feeling. I apologize, and I've been staying out of your life because I felt A, B, and C. Resolved the conflict, and I was thankful that the Lord gave me an opportunity. My heart felt lighter. I dealt with it. I was free. I owned my part, and I felt great because I found reconciliation. You see, you went to them? Yep. I sure did. I didn't wait on them to come to me. Because in every conflict, it takes two to tango, right? It's not just one person. It takes two. And so I sought peace, and we can do the same. You can do the same. Maybe the issue wasn't them. Maybe the issue was actually me. Maybe I never should have engaged in the conflict at all. What about you? What about your conflicts? What about the people you've been fighting with? What about the people you got beef with? Let's pursue peace. Let's be people of reconciliation, conflict resolution. You say, Aaron, but I tried and they won't. That's fine. If they won't give you resolution, which that's fine because it takes two to tango in a conflict and it takes two to bring reconciliation and resolution, right? If they won't have conflict resolution, then you can have something that is better. It's called conflict revolution. It is where you're like, God, since they won't change, change my heart. Change me. Change me. Because conflict cannot continue without my participation. You want to be wise? Don't be engaged in the fight. Seek peace. Number three, the wise considerate. He says, but wisdom that comes from heaven is considerate. You say, Aaron, what's the definition of considerate? There are people who consider it. You're welcome. <laughs> These are people who don't think they know it all. That's who this is. The considered are people who make attempts to lean in and to understand experiences that are not their own, to, to understand opinions or decisions or attitudes that are foreign to them. That instead of thinking, I know it all, I'm going to go, I, I don't know it all. And there's some things that I can't reconcile. There's some things that I can't know because my experience isn't your experience. That simply because I'm male means I can't understand a woman's experience. Because simply because I am, I am uh, white means I can't understand anybody who's not white. They're different experiences, folks. And we need to lean in and understand we don't understand. That the wise are considerate. In fact, James started it all off asking who is wise and understanding among you. Because you can't separate the two. If you're going to be wise, you're going to be a person of understanding. Somebody that is in pursuit of that. They're intertwined. And understanding, my friends, comes only when we choose to stop speaking and choose to listen, to lean in, 
Whatever is said to us, instead of arguing our point and waiting to speak while they're talking, because that's what a lot of us are doing during conversations. We're not actually engaged with what they're saying. We're not actually considering what they're saying. We're just waiting on our, our opportunity to speak, to argue our point, to give them our thoughts. One of my, one of my uh, mentors, John Maxwell, says, don't worry about your thoughts. Go ahead and keep them to yourself. You already know your thoughts. It's time to learn somebody else's. It's time to learn somebody else's thoughts. Consider it. Take it in. Make some notes. Pray over it. Consider it. Maybe what we believe, I'm just saying maybe, okay? Maybe. <laughs> what you think, maybe what you believe, maybe what you do, maybe it's wrong. And if it's not wrong, maybe it's just not the best. Maybe what you're doing is good, but there's great available. And if you are unwilling to consider it, you'll never experience that. We need people who will, instead of arguing, say, help me understand that. Why do you believe that? That's not my experience. Help me see what you see. We need people who will say, tell me more about that. And Paul was setting... Uh, was settling a fight between Christians in Romans 15, and one of them, one group, or one side had stronger opinions than the other. And he says in verse 1, he says, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. In other words, don't be so sold on what you think that you're right. He said we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord, for even if Christ didn't live to please himself. Now, I've shared this before, but one of my favorite things to do is to take people out for coffee. In fact, on our website, there's a little coffee icon. If you want to meet a pastor, I would love to hear your story. You can click the little coffee icon and request time with any of our pastoral team, because I promise you, we'd all love to hear your stories. I, I don't have an agenda. I just want to understand. I love to sit down with somebody, and we'll sit down for hours and talk, and I want to know the long version of your life. How'd you get here? What have you been? Who are you now? Who do you want to be? What does God have for you? I want to lean in. I want to know that. I want to know you. Because it helps me gain perspective on things that I can't understand. And as your pastor, I cannot shepherd you from my perspective alone. I must understand yours. So that I can preach the word of God in a way that is helpful to all of us. I need to understand. Because my home life as a kid was different. I was adopted by my stepfather. I grew up with foster kids. Some of you, that's not your experience. I, grew up, I went to school differently than most people. I went to a private Christian school. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. I can't understand people who grew up different than I did. These are just examples. But my understanding has been shaped by my experiences. But I can gain even more understanding by leaning into your experiences, by being considerate. And letting your experiences shape what I understand. So we'll sit and talk. It'll just be me asking questions. Tell me more about this. How was that for you? How did that shape you? I do lots of listening. And I don't tell everyone what I know all the time. That's not what I want to do when I sit with you. I want to know about you. The wise are considered. The fourth thing that wisdom is, is that the wise are willing to yield. Back to James, he says, the wisdom that, that comes from heaven is submissive. Boy, we hate that word, don't we? Woo! Paul says it in Ephesians, it sets every woman on edge. Wives, submit. Uh, we, we, the men have seemed to miss out that the next verse, 
is a 10-verse description to men to clearly tell them what husband submit looks like. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's another message for another time, and it's not in my notes. So, But this word submit is, is not actually not the greatest translation because the Greek word here really means to yield. It means to yield. It means that once we get into a place where we're willing to consider things, because we're considerate now, remember? This is a journey. God starts with our heart. We become peace-loving. We become considerate. We're leaning in. Now, we might need to yield to the fact that we're wrong. That, that we've given tension to something. We've processed it. We've prayed over it. We've noodled it out and considered it. We may discovering that they're right. And in that moment... The wise yield. In that moment, the wise say, you know what? I used to think that way. But because of A, B, and C, and I now think this way, that my experience was limited. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 15, that fools think their own way is right, but the wise, oh, they listen to others. They take counsel. They let it shape them. Let it lead them. The wise listen. So what would your world look like if we all began to listen to each other and consider it? Huh? You know what? They might have some validity to what they're saying. Hey, what about you people that are politically on the right? What if you started listening to people on the left instead of telling them they're wrong? Couldn't we find some beauty together? Maybe they're right, and you're not. Same to the people on the left with the right. Just want to make sure I'm fair in this conversation before I get called out. Hey, he's up there being political again. I'm not. I just know the things that are dividing you right now. I know the things you're talking about. I know the things that are on your mind and on your heart. I know why you're losing sleep at night. It's possible that we consider some things. And then that we yield. What would our world look like if we did that? What would it look like if our politicians did that, if our leaders did that, pastors did that? Hmm. What would happen? So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Am I reasonable? Can you be reasoned with? Are you somebody that is open to the fact that you might be wrong? Are you open to the possibility that there is better? And when you are open to it, are you willing to yield? Fifth thing that wisdom is, the wise minimize the mistakes of others. James says that wisdom that comes from heaven, that wisdom from above, is full of mercy and good fruit. So it's like, well, I might be wrong, but if I'm not, and you're the one who's wrong, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to crucify you. Offer them up to the people. Yeah. Pitchforks and torches. You're going down. No. So we go through this process. We discover I'm right and you're wrong. I can go ahead and offer some mercy. I can go ahead and just go, you know what? Let's just go ahead and cover this mistake. Let's go ahead and minimize it. I'm not going to highlight your mistakes. I'm going to let it go. Some of you are going to be upset at me for two different reasons, I think. Let it go. Let it go. Don't hold it back anymore. You say, but Aaron, it hurt. Let it go. Yeah, but they did it twice. Let it go. You say, but they did it a third time. Let it go. But Aaron, they, they did it again. 
They, they did it a fourth time. They did it a fifth time. Okay, this is a different verse of the song. Unfortunately, it's the same words. Let it go. <laughs> Sounds just like the first one. Here's all the motivation you might need to be people of mercy and let it go. James in chapter two, we've already read this before, but he said, speak and act. Speak and act. Speak and act. As those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Freedom. In other words, however you're going to judge people, right back at you. <laughs> you don't want that, and I promise mercy is better. He says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. So mercy triumphs over judgment. So when you're in doubt, forgive them. Let it go. Be full of mercy. Be people who are willing to overlook mistakes. Say, Aaron, what is mercy? Mercy literally means not giving something to somebody that they deserve. That what they've earned is my disdain. What they've earned is my anger. What they've deserved is to be cut out. What they deserve is nothing good because of how they've acted towards me. Let it go. You'll thank me for that. If you'll do it, you'll be wise. You'll become people who are free, free to love. It's better. I'm just telling you, it's better. Give them mercy. You don't need to come down so hard on people for their sins and for their mistakes. They're already feeling the weight of them, guys. They already know. They don't need you to remind them. They just don't need that. What they need is to experience something different. They need to experience something empowering and life-giving. And that, my friends, is up to you to give them the same mercy that God has shown you. It is your choice. Be people of mercy and let it go. Because for me, I'd rather stand before God having loved too much than having judged too harshly. That's me. So here's what you need to ask yourself. What do I need to stop bringing up? Some of you need to stop being history majors in your relationships with people. That's <laughs> time to let it go. Wise people are people of mercy. Sixth and last thing that wisdom is, is the wise are authentic. The wisdom from heaven is impartial and sincere. So once you begin creating environments of peace and mercy, you can do this next one. This is where you get to experience this. Because being real requires an atmosphere, an atmosphere of mercy. I know this to be true. I know it to be true. That the only way an atmosphere of mercy gets created is you go first. Someone has to go first. And when you get into a space like this, where you begin to experience mercy, where you know I'm not gonna be judged for the worst parts of my life, that I'm gonna be loved and accepted no matter what, then what we all get to do is take off our masks and be authentic and real. We get to be, oh, completely open, not with everybody, but with somebody, with somebody. So we give mercy. James says that wisdom is impartial and sincere, and both of those words come from the Greek word hypocrite. A hypocrite was an actor of the day, and they would only have so many actors, but each of those actors would have to play multiple roles in the plays. And so they would wear different masks, and I think a lot of us do that too. At work, we're a different person. At home, we're a different person. At church, boy, are we a different person. And the invitation here, the wise learn that authenticity 
having integrity, which by the way, integrity is a math word. It comes from the word integer, which by the way, it means a whole number. It's not a fraction of a number. It's not a fragmented life that we live. I'm this person here. I'm this person here. No, I get to be the same person here as I am there. I get to be real at home, real on the job, and real at church. Oh, baby, that's a good place to be real. I get to be real in my small group. I get to be who God has created me to authentically be. The Bible is telling us the wise are authentic. We have integrity. Too many of us are living lives with our masks on. and We're hiding the pain that we're going through. We're hiding the mistakes that we've made and the dark thoughts. We keep all that stuff to ourselves. And I'm going to tell you that all of that stuff, all of that stuff does is it grows in the darkness that you keep it in. It gets more and more out of hand. That's why in the Bible, in James 5, 16, we are invited to confess our faults, confess your issues, confess your sins, not just to God. He's the one that'll forgive you, but if you want healing, God's plan is to have healing flow through us. We are wounded in relationship. We are healed in relationship, as my therapist says. That was God's plan, not a therapist's plan, by the way. That's why it works, (laughs) We need to be authentic with someone and bring those things into the light because God is refusing to heal what you continue to conceal. It's time to let it go. You can find healing. You can tell somebody. That's why you need to be in a small group. Get into one of our grow groups. They'll pray for you. This past week, my grow group here recently, there was an attendee that, was, that shared she got real honest. I was so thankful for it. This night we were talking about the power of forgiveness. She said, I've been struggling in this relationship and I don't know how to forgive. We sat and we talked for a few minutes. She got real honest and raw. It was felt in the room and it was beautiful. And we encouraged her to embrace that, that opportunity to forgive and to seek reconciliation. We prayed together. And the next week, she came back, tears streaming down her face as she said, it has been so long, but I made that call, and the person on the other end of the phone was so welcome to it. So thankful that I took that step. And she said, and now I am free, and my heart is free. Ha, it's beautiful. When you open up and are authentic and real, you find healing, you find wisdom. Can't be wise and hide at the same time, my friends. The wise are authentic. And here's this last verse. It seems a bit out of a place, but not if you consider the question that we ask that why does God want us wise? Because there has to be a reason for it. What's his intent? What's in it for me? We all ask that. It's okay. What, what is it? What, what, what's the purpose? And what's in, what's in the last verse that follows is this. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. A peacemaker in, Greek, in the Greek word means a bringer of national tranquility, guys, that God wants us wise so that we can infect the world with peace. That's what he wants you wise for, that when you leave this place, when you leave your home, your job is to be a peacemaker and spread that peace everywhere. And it'll be like Romans says, that it'll be good for you and God will receive glory for it. Because when people experience the peace of God that's in your life, they'll want what you have and they'll turn to your God. This is who we are, sowing peace and living wisely. We can do it if we let God make us wise. Amen, everybody? All right, I'm gonna pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this series. And I know it's shaking us. It shook me this week. 
led me some difficult steps, and I know there are people that are gonna respond the same, and I'm looking forward to hearing the stories. So God, help us be wise. Help us to be wise, and not an earthly wisdom, a wisdom that is from above. Give us that, God. Not just in our minds, but in our hearts. Let us, let us experience purity. Let us be peace-loving. Let us be considerate and submissive and merciful. Help us, God, to be authentic so that we can be peacemakers everywhere we go. As I continue to pray in this room, there are those of you that, that, man, what you need before you can even enjoy all this is a relationship with God. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer. If you're ready today to make that commitment, say yes to Jesus. Uh, you join me in that prayer. And if you're gonna do that, would you just slip up your hand right now? Would you say, Aaron, that's me. I'm, I'm joining you today. Thank you. I see your hands. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down now. Everybody pray together out loud. Nobody praying alone. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit and show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, heaven's having a party. Simple Church is celebrating with you. Come on, guys, let them know. Woo, it's a good day. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.